listeners, and welcome to another episode of the InQtel podcast. I'm your host, Vishal Sandacera, and on today's show, we do something a little bit different. Today, we're going to introduce a piece of technology that we've seen in pop culture and talk a little bit about how it may or may not be impactful to our lives, or even if it's real or not. Joining me today for our inaugural look at pop and technology together is Nick Acton. Nick Acton is currently an InQtel systems engineer. He is also a Virginia Tech master's student in computer engineering. He studies software intelligence and machine learning, and he has a strong interest in the ethics surrounding the proliferation of machine learning and artificial intelligence. Say hi, Nick. Hi, Vishal. How are you doing? I'm doing excellent. Thanks for being here today. We're really excited. Uh, today's show is called Give Us Some Social Credit. And to tease this a little bit, I guess what we're really going to be talking about today uh, by way of introducing something from pop culture is the concept of a social credit system. And we'll get a little bit more into what that means and, and uh, where perhaps it is or isn't real. But before we do that, a little bit of origin and background. So you may be familiar with a TV show called Black Mirror on Netflix. Nick and I certainly are, and we've actually taken a liking to a particular episode. Season 3, Episode 1, I believe, is called Nosedive. That is correct. And in Nosedive, the general context is that there's an individual who is subject to the whims of a social credit system that dictate the types of things that she can and cannot partake in in her life. Right. So the uh, brilliant uh, Bryce Dallas Howard plays a young woman named Lacey Pound, and she kind of takes us on a journey. Um, this whole story is based on a story by Charlie Brooker, and it's a screenplay actually written by Rashida Jones and Michael Schur, uh, both Harvard alum, very brilliant, and they've actually worked on a lot of comedic ventures together, such as Parks and Rec. And you can kind of see that come out in this episode. There's a lot of kind of that traditional The Office cringiness. There's, you know, they get into odd situations that you can find kind of comedic, but you also resonate with the character, I think. Right. So the whole point of Lacey Pound's character is she puts her best face forward, and you kind of look at her, and it makes you a little uncomfortable just how how vibrant and jubilant she seems to be at any given time. And as the episode progresses, you find out it's because of this app that everybody seems to have. And as you go through the... Uh, spoilers for anybody who hasn't... Yes, right. If you haven't seen season three, episode one, Nosedive of Black Mirror, we suggest you turn this podcast off now, watch the episode, and then come back. Right. And so as we progress through the episode, we see that this application really kind of dictates everything, every aspect of somebody's life. They're very, they put their best face forward, and the point is that they rate interactions with just about everybody that they may ever come across. How the app kind of works out these technical details, the episode doesn't really explain, but it's not particularly important. Yeah, I think, Nick, the most interesting thing to me, or perhaps the intriguing thing about this, was that how, how real it all really seemed. I mean, I, I gotta tell you, I, on a daily basis, I am giving ratings to people in my life. Uh, not everyone, but certainly, um, my rideshare drivers, uh, my delivery people for various you know things that are being sent to my house, uh, perhaps the person taking care of my dog uh, that I've you know found on Rover, for example, um, and it just seems like a slippery slope. I mean, uh, this concept of being being uh, having the ability, to perhaps whether it's a benefit or a boon, to to rate people, and that's what the that's what this episode really got into. It got into the heart of what does this really mean, and how far is too far? Um, and to your point, yeah, our, our protagonist starts out in a very cheery disposition. Uh, and again, spoiler alert, that all changes during the course of this show. So let's talk a little actually about uh, what, what, what it is that's taking place here. There's, there's this concept. The concept that, that belies this episode is this social credit system. 
Um, and certainly, if, uh, if you haven't Googled this term yet, it, it turns out it is a real thing, uh, and there's actually a lot of research uh, and pra in practice, uh, a social credit system is being uh, developed and perhaps deployed um, in various parts of the world. I think China being uh, perhaps the most notable. Right, so China's uh, social credit system is by far the most famous. For a little context for anybody listening, so um, from China's perspective, the State Council of China published a proposal in June of 2014. Uh, this proposal was entitled The Planning Outline for the Construction of a Social Credit System. Mm -hmm. And uh, the exact details of how this will be implemented aren't necessarily fleshed out yet. Effectively, I believe there are about eight to ten major tech players in the uh, Chinese technology market that are effectively putting forth proposals for what this social credit system is going to look like. Two of the major ones being um, Sesame Credit, which is the financial arm of Alibaba, and Tencent. And both of these players are pushing out major proposals that would ideally, in their case, be uh, adopted by the Chinese government. And Nick, I think it's worth mentioning the reason or perhaps the motivation behind implementing a social credit system in the first place. I mean, in, in the United States, we have credit scores, uh, and those are fairly prevalent. You have, you have FICO rating your creditworthiness, and to some extent marking you as a trustworthy or not trustworthy person to lend to. Uh, turns out in China, there's, there's no FICO, perhaps. Uh, and is a social credit system uh, a way to bridge, bridge that gap, perhaps, in your so opinion? So China most certainly does have traditional forms of establishing what we identify and what we establish as credit here in the United States. but. Part of the kind of motivation behind the uh, social credit system, uh, at least the one that they put forward, is that there's a lot of kind of need and want from the Chinese population, especially in the rural communities, mm -hmm. to have more upward social mobility. There's been a lot of great economic establishment in the uh, Chinese community, and there's a lot of want from the rural communities to make the jump perhaps into more urban communities with traditional job structures, blue collar, white collar job structures that we may identify with. And that can be very difficult when you don't have a traditional credit history, obviously. So, um, you know, you have never really owned a credit card, you've never established a loan with a major banking system or anything like that. So part of the proposed uh, motivation behind the social credit system is that they're effectively identifying features that can act as a potential stand-in for more traditional forms of what, we, what we've identified as financial credit. I actually see that being something, I mean, relevant across geographic borders. I, you know, China's certainly, certainly taking, a, taking a stab at this, but I mean, when it comes to people who perhaps don't have any credit rating or, you know, are looking to build a credit rating uh, and haven't had a credit card, I can see the system you're describing being useful in, in any of those scenarios across, you know, any country, really. Um, all right, so you can, to our listeners, you can certainly learn more about the social credit system that, uh, that, that's uh, in place in China just uh, by a quick Google search. Let's talk a little bit about uh, how this would all even work. Let's talk about the inner tooling of, of a social credit system, right? Like, what is it that, uh, we, we certainly hear a lot about big data and analytics and, and, then, and machine learning and AI being re relevant to, you know, inferring or, or, or creating tr or predicting trustworthiness of a person, but how does this all really work and why is it even possible? Right, so we've established motivation and this, the uh, actual implementation and some of the effects of it are probably where it becomes a little bit more, I'll coin the term black mirror-y. So when we look at, let, let's draw some correlations between some American companies. So when we look at Amazon, Amazon has good data on just about every member of their platform, somewhere in the tens, possibly hundreds of millions of their shopping history and 
through utilization of their media platforms through their media consumption history. And I think they're even trying to make forays into social media. Mm -hmm. um, the effectiveness of this foray, you can establish yourself. I've personally never used it, but it's, it's a data source that they have determined to be effective. Now, Alibaba is effectively a corollary to Amazon for the Chinese community, except they have a lot of fingers in a lot of different areas. Obviously, Sesame, or Sesame is uh, their kind of financial arm. That's getting a lot of financial data on all of their users. They have, um, Alibaba is a major shopping arm, so uh, presumably, uh, a lot of economists have analyzed this and said, and, and even um, Sesame spokesmen for Sesame Credit have said that your shopping habits could even dictate your social credit score. Um, presumably, if you are purchasing a lot of video games, then you are idle and not contributing a lot of time towards more productive tasks, whereas if you are an individual who is purchasing diapers, you're um, likely a parent, and through their data sources and through their analysis, they've identified that parents are more likely to be a probably more socially responsible person. They have a lot more to lose. They have a lot more sure. uh, motivation to appear uh, socially credible and financially credible. Right. Well, while on the whole, that makes sense to me. It also strikes me as being open to a lot of bias. It seems right. like there could be a lot of unintended consequences of the bias that is inferred uh, from any standalone, perhaps siloed activity that you're that you're measuring. Um, let's talk a little bit about this concept of online reputation management because I think it plays a big role in uh, social uh, credit systems. So I've heard of online reputation management as being something that's been around for a while now, maybe call it a decade, maybe even longer. Uh, various companies and platforms that help you manage, uh, better understand the insights being generated across your platforms about your products, your organization. Um, how does online reputation management differ or aid uh, social credit systems? Right, so I think it's important for us to maybe draw a correlation to what China is doing with their social credit system and what we do here in the United States. Um, so presumably the social credit system in China would be government implemented and act as a sort of, sort of social artifact for you. Whereas in the United States, we place a lot of value on not, ne on not necessarily government entities, but corporate or um, personal entities such as um, Google or Facebook. So for example, um, fascinating book, if you ever get a chance, is called uh, So You've Been Publicly Shamed. It's uh, by John Ronson. And in the book, he details how effectively you can turn money into online reputation, how maybe one event in your life that has sullied your reputation mm -hmm. can actually be hidden in various search engines through optimization, through engineering, through a lot of effectively handiwork done by other parties. Are we talking about uh, SEO on steroids, basically suppressing bad things? <laughs> yeah, effectively. Second page, third page they can, results. They can take some charitable acts that you've done, some that they've suggested that you do, push that to the top, mm -hmm. and then they can take your reprehensible act and they mm -hmm. can push that farther down the bottom. It sounds like you can manipulate your social credit score uh, if, if it's reliant upon things that are said about you online. Um, you're open to trolls, perhaps. You're open to being able to make yourself sound better than you really are by suppressing uh, bad reviews, for example. How, how resilient and robust um, do you think they can be, uh, given the fact that the quality of the data that they receive could, in fact, be flawed? This is a very good question. And uh, another fascinating book, if the readers ever get a chance to read it, um, by Kathy O'Neill, Harvard Mathematics PhD. It's called Weapons of Math Destruction. And she details effectively five aspects of what she calls weapons of math destruction, which are um, artificial intelligence and machine learning algorithms that could potentially do harm to the people that they ultimately are trying to protect. Um, so. 
I think it's probably a good practice to analyze any given AI or artificial intelligence or machine learning algorithm and see its impact. So one aspect that she details is scalability. Um, I think any social credit system that's widely implemented across the United States, 330 million citizens, or the or Chinese 1.4 billion citizens, uh, certainly has scale to cause a lot of harm. Uh, one is reinforcing feedback. This comes up very often in traditional financial credit, where it seems that with a lot of traditional financial credit systems, it's very easy to kind of jump from a already high score to a higher score. Mm -hmm. You'll get lower interest rates on loans, you'll ha already have a well-established line of credit, so you'll be more trusted, it'll be easier to um, get a higher paying job and whatnot, whereas when you're starting from a lower score, which is ultimately the intention of a lot of these systems, it's actually pretty difficult to go to a more average or a higher score from there because you're getting lower loans, you're getting, or you're getting higher interest rates on loans, you are less likely to get a higher paying job, you're less likely to have more opportunities. It almost seems to me that the, the concept, uh, perhaps one of the, the reasons that a social uh, credit system would exist is to help, as you suggested, people move vertically within the ranks for those who don't have any established credit. But it also sounds like it could be the very thing that prevents you from uh, rising in the ranks. Say you're, uh, say you're, you're relegated to getting bad quality uh, terms on your loans. You're never actually going to be able to, in my opinion, um, ascend if, if, you're if you're constantly being given the most uh, disadvantageous situations in your life. Right. And to your previous point about, you know, optimization of the process and everything like that, I think one problem with a lot of machine learning and out artificial intelligence related to establishing your social presence, your socioeconomic status, is the opaqueness of it. So presumably the social credit system in China will be based off of algorithms that are not directly published. Um, I believe even FICO in the United States is not directly, the algorithms that determine your score are not directly published. The characteristics of a person with a good FICO credit score versus a person with a bad FICO credit score have been ascertained and a system of um, management of that and system of providing con consultation for that has been established. And so the question kind of becomes, would this happen with social credit systems? Would people say, okay, this system is opaque, but we've identified the characteristics of people that do well in the system and maybe we've kind of even reverse engineered the weights of the features that they find important. Mm -hmm. And then through the through acquisition through money, you can come to us as a con as a consulting agency, and we will provide you the feedback that you need to say, oh, perhaps you need to give a little bit more to charity this upcoming quarter, or you need to, um, you know, do a, buy a little fewer video games or something like that this next coming right. quarter in order to it's interesting establish you your better social credit. Uh, it could certainly spawn an entire uh, boutique industry around right. <laughs> consulting on how to improve your... I mean, we've already seen reputation management uh, companies make, make make money off of this. And uh, in Nosedive, the episode that we're talking about, I mean, that's exactly what our right. protagonist does. Right. She goes right to an agency. She's... Try, uh, sp more spoiler alerts for everybody listening. She is attempting to get into a very high-end apartment community, and they actually set a limit that you have to be above, I believe, a 4.5 on a 5.0 scale in order to be allowed into this establishment as a resident. And funny enough, cr drawing back to the social credit system, there have been proposals put forth by many of these companies that there will be similar aspects of your score. So I believe Sesame 
places the score somewhere between a 350 and somewhere in, in the 800s. Mm -hmm. And presumably, if you're a higher scoring individual, you'll be allowed into fancier restaurants. You'll even be provided a lot of interesting benefits, a few of which I've, li I've listed here. So some negative aspects and positive aspects of the uh, presumable Chinese uh, social credit system. Uh, they may throttle or increase your internet speed. There are presumably education-related um, benefits and problems, such as you might be barred from the best schools for your children, right. and you might be barred from enrollment in higher ed. Apparently, I heard that travel is also a problem. Travel is also a problem. So as of March 2018, it has been reported that over 9 million people have been barred from buying airplane tickets, and 3 million people have been barred from buying business class train tickets. Wow. Nick, you're, uh, you're, you're touching on a, a part of the show that I, I, I think I'm going to come to enjoy when we do Pop and Tech, and that is Crystal Ball Game. Uh, when it comes to Crystal Ball Game, I want you to tell me about where do you think social uh, credit systems are going um, now and in the future? Let's say we use the year 2020, the year 2030, and perhaps beyond uh, as mileposts. Mile so I think we can look at the United States and China's obviously two different sides of the same coin when it comes to the social credit system. Um, so a hard fact, um, the year, by the year 2020, it is expected that a social credit system will be chosen and established in, the, uh, in China. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think this will be very interesting. Um, immediate impact is this will be fully implemented across 1.4 billion people. From a logistics standpoint, I'm very interested to see how this comes out. Right. But also, I think a lot of other governments, even Western governments, can hopefully retrieve some interesting insight after this has been implemented. We can look at the cons and the pros of where this is going because, frankly, all of our concerns and hopes about this system are, frankly, speculation. Um, we haven't seen a system like this implemented at this size. Um, probably about 10 to 12 years down the road, depending on how the social credit system goes in China, um, we might see more countries, if, if it goes well, we might see more countries kind of establishing something similar. So the question I think is, are there going to be government mandated, much like the Chinese social credit system? Are there gonna be more of this, this what I call social credit system diet, which I think we kind of have in the United States, which is this idea of usage of the system is voluntary and yet involuntary in a way. And what I mean by that is, perhaps they'll be implemented by tech monoliths like Google and Amazon, Apple, et cetera, and you know, you don't have to use any of these services, but as they become more and more prevalent, it kind of becomes a necessity of establishing and maintaining a good American lifestyle. Right. It seems to me that if you were voluntarily involved uh, and it yielded good results, it would only further in, uh, solidify your participation and on those around you's participation in such a system. Right. And in the United States, we are using kind of social credit system lights. I mean, funny enough, an app called uh, People, P-E-E-P-L-E, um, was released a few years ago, and it had a very interesting uh, tagline where uh, it, it, it seemed to resonate. That, that episode must have resonated with those uh, creators because they seemed to like it. Mm -hmm. They uh, created an app where you uh, would rate social interactions with everybody that you come across, so precisely what the episode is right. talking about. Um, people Nikki. didn't seem to resonate so well with that app idea. They shut it down rather quickly, but something along those lines might still pop up. So you mentioned people, which uh, doesn't exist anymore, but are there other organizations that we should keep an eye on? Um, 
in terms of uh, making developments in this regard? Yes, absolutely. So we've talked about uh, reputation management. That's a whole industry mm -hmm. that is emerging and frankly becoming a lot more important here in the United States. I think if there's a couple industries, if you want to look at, and I think we should be wary of, it is um, financial industries and insurance industries. As less traditional forms of financial credit and insurance and contract fulfillment are coming up, people are typically turning more towards AI and machine learning in order to determine the features that we as humans might not observably find important. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of the point. And this has caused a lot of controversy as a lot of these, a lot of these algorithms are determining importance of factors that we kind of find reprehensible. There's a lot of there's a lot of factors of your contract fulfillment and whatnot that are tied to your geographic location. Mm -hmm. And as we can physically determine and kind of observe in the United States, um, your geographic location can have a lot to do with your race or your ethnicity or your um, religious creeds. So, but as those industries are, as peer-to-peer -peer lending, as insurance through monoliths such as Amazon might be coming up very soon, uh, they're going to have less government regulation, and whether or not that's a good or bad thing, we don't necessarily know yet. And whether or not they kind of emerge and overpower the more traditional forms, and whether or not that's a good or bad thing, I don't know. But we should understand that they are going to be artificial intelligence and machine learning driven. And we need, I think we as technology-minded people need to take a top-level look at it and say, what are these algorithms doing? And... Uh, is it reprehensible? Is it something that we as is it a decision that we as humans would make? Because right. I think we find often, when it comes to machine learning, especially the very opaque ones, um, we don't get a chance to look at it. We don't get a chance to prod it. And frankly, a lot of the people that design these algorithms, uh, they can't even explain them. Right. I mean, there's also this added <coughs> sort of curtain of, of proprietary proprietariness right. associated with these algorithms. And on top of all that. When it comes to building decisions, I mean, this is something classic, I think, that most machine learning experts will attest to. A confidence score is, is worthwhile. How, 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 how trustworthy is this result that I'm getting? Uh, and I certainly see that being having life and death implications on, on something like a credit system, a social credit system. Right. Nick, I thank you for your time today. If there's anything you'd like to leave our listeners with, what would that be? I think it's to look at Black Mirror and recognize it for its entertainment value, but also recognize it for its educational value. Let's look at it and say, this is fun to watch, but at the same time, is this what we want the future to look like? Because Charlie Brooker seems to think we're going in that way. And in some aspects and in some episodes, I tend to agree with him. And we'll see how that turns out. Excellent. Nick, thank you for your time. To our listeners, again, today we've been talking about season three, episode one of Black Mirror. The episode's called Nosedive. Check it out if you haven't. And uh, if you have, watch it again with uh, the added knowledge that you've just uh, absorbed. Again, Nick, thank you for your time in the studio here. John, thank you for your time as our sound engineer. Kristen, thank you for being our ever-so-brave producer. And to our listeners, thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time. Mm -hmm.